0: The text for this morning's sermon is Colossians 4, the verses 2 to 18. Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. At first glance, the text before before us this morning from Colossians 4 does not look like much at all. Lots of it consists of a bunch of relatively unknown people sending their greetings to a church in Asia Minor nearly 2,000 years ago. There does not seem to be much here. However, before we bunker down for a snooze fest, let us remember Paul's instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And those words about Scripture equally apply to Colossians 4, our text. They apply just as much to Colossians 4 as they do to any other part of Scripture. And yes, the words of our text do appear very plain. We see people sending their greetings to all these people in this church. But that also is part of the beauty of the, mes- the message. The plainness of the text is part of the message. Here we get some insights into the workings of the early church. And these people in our text this morning, as we hope to see, they're just regular people. Just regular people. There was nothing particularly special about them at all. And yet Christ used them in a very powerful way, a special way to build his church. And well, perhaps we might wonder as we look at ourselves, oh can I can I really do anything to build the church? I don't seem to have many gifts. Can I really do anything? Now, how is that possible? Maybe you even wonder if it's, if it's worth the effort. When you put in the work, it's hard to see the fruit that comes into working for building up the church. That can happen too. And then we might think perhaps it's best to leave church building work to someone who's more qualified than me. I'll just sit here, let others get to work. I won't do anything at all. But that thinking would be a mistake, beloved. Our text shows us that Christ uses regular believers to build his church. Not super saints, not superhumans, but ordinary believers. And because he does that, then all of us here must aim to build the church of God build the church of God for God's glory. So as I preach you God's words, as I preach to you God's word this morning, I'll do so under the following theme and points. Because Jesus Christ uses ordinary believers to build his church, we must all aim to build. We have three points. We'll first look at the ordinary believers of Christ's church. Second, the, the work Christ uses to build his church, and third, the gospel message that drives the building. So first, the Ordinary Believers of Christ Church. Now, as humans, we often have the tendency to romanticize about the past. You can look at the problems we face today and bemoan the fact that things were not like the good old days way back when, when, when everything was so much better. And we might have the tendency to do that with the early church. Now, when we think of the early church, we might have false ideas in our mind that everyone was a super believer and that every congregation was a thriving congregation with all their ducks in a row. And we might wonder, why can't the church today be a lot more like the church back then? However, we should be on guard against romanticizing one period in church history. Every time has its own particular struggles. Here we have in our text a group of people from the early church. And to be sure, they're faithful believers. They were ordinary believers. They're doing regular down-to-earth work to build up the church. they too, they too had their struggles and their problems. Take, for example, Mark, mentioned in verse 10. He's the cousin of Barnabas. Mark had joined Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. But somewhere along the way, he changed his mind. He stopped doing the work and he went back home. Maybe he found the work too difficult. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was afraid to share the gospel and and, and the potential dangers that came with it. But in any case, he gave up. He went back home. Because he did this, Paul got into a sharp disagreement with Barnabas about taking Mark on their second missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take him along, but... Paul, he did not. And they even split up over the matter. Now, thankfully Mark overcame his previous failure because here he is working together with Paul again. It was clear, Mark, he had his faults. and Yet God still used him. And similar things could be said of some of the others. Onesimus, mentioned in verse nine, he was a converted slave of Philemon. Well, his life was dominated by physical labor. Paul says he still found him useful in his service. There's Archippus in verse seventeen, who seemed to be in danger of leaving some kind of work unfulfilled. Maybe he was a procrastinator of some sort. We don't know for sure. And Paul himself had his own struggles too. He needed comfort from others. He found it in his fellow workers. He was weak. As we look back, backwards in Scripture, we could also think of the 12 disciples whom Christ chose. Many of them were simple fishermen. And as you read through the Gospels, you can see these men had their faults. They were weak. But Christ chose them to be the apostles. And these churches that met together during the time of the apostles, they were by no means mega-churches. We might get that idea in our minds, too. These are huge, thriving churches in in, in all the the ancient world. No, no. There were small gatherings of people that that took time to grow. And they gathered together in people's homes. Nympha is one such person who opened her home, as verse fifteen says. So there was nothing spectacular about the churches either. And they were also not free from trouble. Consider only Demas who sends greetings in verse fourteen. In every way, he appeared to be a faithful worker, a faithful member of the church. Then Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 that that Demas had abandoned him because he was in love with this present world. So here there was this man, Demas, appeared to be a faithful member, but he left the church. They had people leave too. So yes, these were regular people Christ had gathered into his church, just like us. Christ died for them. He died for people who put their faith in Him. You don't need to be some superstar Christian to know that Christ died for you. No, look to Him in faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And those whom Christ died for, he also gives spiritual gifts and sends them into his service. That includes all of us here who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in Christ. He gives us gifts that we might employ in his service. So because that is true, none of us needs to think of ourselves as inadequate in any way to start building. We don't need to wish for some bygone time in the history of the church. No, the best time to start building the church of Christ is now. You can do it too. Christ will use us and our efforts. He will use us. Here we have these Christians in Colossae. They're a small team of workers. And look at them. Christ sent them into a hostile Roman Empire. It says, start building. What a tall task that was. And yet they were not alone. Remember, Paul has been emphasizing something in this letter to the Colossians, and that is that Christ is supreme. He's the image of the invisible God, as we read from Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. That divine Son of God is the head of the church. He is at at the head of the building of the church. And Christ will give everything his small church needs to grow. See, the early church, yes, it grew. It grew by the power of Christ. It it grew by the power of the Spirit. It grew as the Word went out. It's by Christ's power. So we all, too, must look to him in faith. He will give us what we need to build the church in this world. Brings us to our our, second point. So the work Christ uses to build his church, that's our second point. The missionary, William Carey, is well known for his missionary efforts in the country of India. And he gave up so much to travel to India and spend his entire life evangelizing the people there. And William Carey is also famous for this well-known statement, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Now, in many ways, that's a good statement. We should expect great things from God. He is the Almighty God, after all. And to attempt great things for God is also a noble thing to do. However, when you hear that kind of statement from William Carey, you might think to yourself, you know, that's nice of you to say, but something like being a missionary in India, you know what, it's simply not in the cards for me. And you know what, that's okay. We are not all called to be missionaries, though some of us here might be one day. But perhaps we should just simply adjust our understanding what it means to attempt great things for God. What is a great thing? A great thing can be doing a small thing for the body of Christ out of love for our Savior. Let me say that again. A great thing can be doing a small thing for the body of Christ out of love for our Savior. See, God can do great things for the church with the small things we do from faith. Even little interactions between believers to, to seek to build each other up are so important. And Look at the example of Nympha in verse 15, for, for instance. Here was a woman who opened up her house so that the church could meet together in her home. Well, obviously she was a woman of some means, and she was willing to associate with all kinds of people whose social status fell way below hers. Here she is, opening up her home. You know, it might look small in the grand scheme of things, but, but what a wonderful thing to do. Would you be willing to do that yourself? See, Nympha had a building mindset when it came to the church, and that's what made all the difference. What's your attitude when it comes to the church? Is it one of building, or is it one of consuming? If I can adapt the words of John F. Kennedy to us today, then let me encourage you to have this mindset. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask instead, what can I do for the church? So certainly expect great things from God, but attempt small things for the building up of the church. Remember, it's not our work at bottom. Christ will build it. As we look at our text, you can see here that that Paul emphasizes prayer. Verses 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then listen also to how Paul described Epaphras in verse 12. He says, Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Beloved, prayer is something we all can do. And look at the value our text places on prayer for the building of the church. Through the prayers of ordinary believers, God opens up doors for the gospel in this world. Through the prayers of ordinary believers, God enables preachers of the gospel to speak the message of Christ more clearly. That's what Paul said. He said, the reason why I can speak the message clearly is because people have been praying that way. And God's church will be built through that. And here he says, through your prayers, God gives maturity of faith to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's something you can pray for. And through our prayers, God enables us to understand His will. Beloved, that that work of prayer is so important. It takes faith. But see our text. See the effect it has for the building up of the church. Beloved, be faithful in prayer. Christ also builds his church through everyday interactions with unbelievers. Verse 5 says to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And Then there's verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there, there's only so much time before Christ returns. So he's saying, let us use the time wisely. Let's seek ways of how we can tell all our, others about our Savior. Don't think to yourself, you know, people in the world, they know where the church is, The doors are always open. They are free to come in whenever they want. No, that's not the way. Most people outside the church, they join the church through someone they know who is already a member, who who told them the gospel. So let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let people see by the way you talk that you have different values and a different way of looking at the world. Don't be afraid to say that, yes, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in Him, and you love Him. That might put us out of our comfort zone, but that's okay. Sometimes we have to force ourselves outside of that comfort zone. So make the most of every opportunity. in all of this, beloved, perhaps we've failed in some regard or are lacking in a building mentality, but it's not too late. doesn't mean it can't be changed or fixed. Remember, again, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. He stopped the work. But at some point, he seemed to have changed his attitude. Paul now welcomed him again among his workers Paul even says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 that Mark is very useful to his ministry. So at one time, Mark gave up the work, but then he changed his mind and started building, and Paul says, he's very useful in my ministry. And God would eventually use Mark to write down the gospel that bears his name. Isn't that amazing? That is the work of God. That brings us to point number three a gospel message that drives a building. Now, when you do look at the history of Christianity, one thing that stands out is the amazing spread of the church in the first three centuries after Christ. When Jesus, at the beginning, chose a, a ragtag group of disciples, made them his followers, and then eventually commissioned them to make more disciples. And they, in turn, would make even more disciples. And then Christ ascended into heaven, poured out the Spirit, and the apostles went out to fulfill the Great Commission. As I said before, the church started out with small gatherings. The Colossian church was not a megachurch. They met in someone's home. How big was that Colossian church, do you think? Well, perhaps it was as small as 50 or 60 people. Did you ever think about that? Oh, it was quite likely larger than that. But we here today, we're almost assuredly bigger than that Colossian church to whom Paul wrote. But yet, though the church started with small gathering, things grew from there, and eventually there were churches throughout the Roman Empire by the grace of God. It's amazing how quickly things spread. And that's even more amazing considering the message that it was at the foundation of the church. The apostles and the other believers, they were telling everyone that a person executed as a criminal on a cross near Jerusalem was the Savior of the world. And that they should trust in that person for their eternal salvation and well-being. Well, in the face of things, that sounds like the silliest idea ever, the silliest message ever. And Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 1 yeah, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to many people. It sounds foolish to the unbelieving heart. But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God for salvation. And God uses a foolish message to save those who believe. As the word goes out, the Holy Spirit uses that message to convict us of our sin. And those who are convicted know they need help. And the Spirit of God in the Gospel sets before our eyes our Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in Him. And that in Christ our sins are forgiven that we have eternal life. It's that gospel message of Christ that, that changes everything. It drives the building of the church. Look at how it drove Paul. He says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear Think about what he says here. He says, I'm in prison. I am chained up like a dog because I've been preaching Christ and yet I want to do it more. And so he says, pray for me. Pray for more opportunities to preach Christ, to tell others about Christ. Pray for me that I might not shy away from sharing the gospel. Pray for me that I may not water down this message, but proclaim it clearly, for by this message, people are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Yes, it might mean more beatings, more imprisonment, more torture, but I do not care. Christ must be preached. His church must be built up. He could continue on with the work because he knew that his Savior had bought him. He belonged to Christ. His sins were forgiven. He had eternal life. So even though he went through all this torture and beatings, it didn't matter. He, he was Christ, he was a child of God. And so, even if he lost everything he had in life, it didn't matter. No, he still had everything because he had his Savior. Beloved, the message of the cross is a life transforming message. Paul, the persecutor of the church, is changed into the builder of the church. Changed by the message, changed by the Spirit. It's that same message of the cross that will change us too. It will train, change us into people who desire to build the church. We might not be given all the tasks that Paul was given, but we will want to see the church grow and flourish. And as we do that more and more, we will see the beauty of the church also. Look at the beauty of the church displayed in our text. Here are all these men sending their heartfelt greetings to this little church in Colossae. before Before they knew Christ, they had no relationship whatsoever. Many of them belonged to very different social standings. Luke was a doctor. Onesimus was a slave. But in Christ, they were one. It was such such a beautiful work of God the church is a beautiful work of God people from all backgrounds cultures nationalities made one and some of the men who sent their greetings might have might not have known too many people in the congregation but it didn't matter the, these were their brothers and sisters in the Lord so what made all the difference They were brought into one huge family. Let us remember that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege to be a part of. So let let us build the church in faith. Amen.